in this episode. Hello, everybody. It's Leo here. I love superheroes. Let's let Ian put on his smug face. It's the thing I do. After that, I just kind of fall into a kind of coma and just nod and agree with stuff. Yeah, sort of not really aware what's going on in charge of a 20-ton leisure vehicle. Okay, whatever. I'm going to chew a bit of scenery here and... Hi, everyone. How's it going? Oh, I'll just have a coffee. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, clicking alien gadgets, you. Which everybody hated. All of my Facebook feeds were nothing but parents going, what the hell was that? It was awful. I hope that went off the boil just the wrong time for you. I've heard it was lazy and boring. I can well believe that. There we go. It's over, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Thank you very much. It's our third season. You can't cancel us because we can't be stopped because we don't get paid. Uh... I'm going to hit you so hard that when you wake up, your clothes will be out of style. about this episode, Ian, is that we have plenty to talk about. But the bad thing is we're not exactly sure how to start the episode. Oh, we've just done it. Hello, everybody. It's Leo here. You may have forgotten what the sound of my voice sounds like because it has been several months since we last chatted. But I am Leo and I am one of the 80s kids. And as I say, honestly, here is... Ian, and I have a problem, you know... There's, there's not a lot of shtick left. We did a bit of pruning after coming back, but the one thing I was very firm on was that I can open every episode with a problem. It's, it's the thing I do. After that, I just kind of fall into a kind of coma and just nod and agree with stuff. Well, you're going to have to just uh, nod and agree that we did averagely well with our summer predictions. I'm not going to go all the way out there and say we did gangbusters, but I'm also going to say we were abject failures. Uh, so w- what we're going to do, if you did listen to the uh, predictions show earlier this year, and if you didn't, we'll just insert a short finger pause here so that you can rush off, listen to that, then come back and meet us here in three seconds. A three, two. One. Right, okay, so you now know what we predicted, and we're going to go through those predictions and see how we did in reverse order. So that means that the first thing we're going to discuss in this new season of 80s Kids is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Right on topic, being as it's a musical, so not a genre piece, about music that was mostly recorded in the 70s and not the 80s. That's a weird thing they've dropped in there. The original uh, Mamma Mia made $609 million. Box Office Mojo keeps adding money every time they show Mamma Mia at a cinema, and it gets shown at cinemas 
quite often just goes around and around and around in cinemas. So I'm imagining we were somewhat bamboozled by this because we made predictions. Oh yes, we did. I predicted it would make that the new one would make $750 million and you predicted it would make $700 million. And in fact, in its first run, it made $388 million. Now, on a $75 million budget, that's nothing to sniff about. But it definitely, by the numbers, seemed to do worse than the first one. But I'm wondering whether we were not led astray. I feel very led astray uh, because the women folk of my tribe have have all gone and seen this and come back very enthusiastic and then want to go buy the soundtrack. It is still building. Who knows what it will be at the end of the day. It's going to do well on DVD as well. Everyone's going to get it for Christmas. It's just going to be very popular. Oh, yeah. It's certainly going to make over $609 million from all channels. But then Mamma Mia probably has made over... We're talking about box office. And I think that essentially yeah. what we got wrong was the, the box office for Mamma Mia, here we go again, isn't over. We thought it was just like any other film, but now I come to think about it, the Prince Charles in London does sing along a Mamma Mia, that lots of places do that, and they've done it since the film was on first release, and continually year on year. It's like The Room's box office, except with less Tommy Wiseau. Uh, but even even so, return on investment, I'd still punch for a third one if on this kind of payback. <laughs> Abba Gold, this is Abba Silver. Next, we're getting into the bronze area. We know. Anyway, look, I I would come back to it uh, again, but honestly, I don't care. Uh, but our other WTF pick, which performed exactly as we predicted, was, of course, Billy Zane as Samson. If I can remind people of the Zoolander skit, Billy Zane says to Zoolander, you, you rock, Derek. And he goes, no, you rock, Billy Zane. Well, he wouldn't be saying that now because Samson managed to pull in a princely $4 million budget undisclosed. It made that much? Why is this film here? I, I saw nothing of it. I haven't even seen a trailer of it yet either, so I've, I've got no idea what the production values look like. Oh, it, as a spin-off piece of news, I don't know if you've encountered this, but Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel have announced that Passion of the Christ 2 is coming. Passion of the Christ 2. <laughs> yeah, really. Does he come back to, does he get resurrected in the first Passion of the Christ or they just do the crucifixion? If they haven't done the resurrection, there's your story. Otherwise, what is it? This time Pontius Pilate crucifies him again. This time it's really personal. Well, there was a, a family guy skit about it, wasn't there? So maybe they've run with that concept. Uh. You know, it's like an 80s action movie. Uh, Jim Caviezel has said he's read the script and it's shaping up to be the greatest movie of all time. So we can all look forward to that. He can't possibly fall short of that description. No, no. Let's get our horror on. When I was doing the numbers for the horror, I started to think, cripes, we should really make a horror movie. I mean, these things cannot fail to make money. Even though it's not a genre we're particularly keen on, you could just about do anything and it will make a ton of cash. And then there was a little bit of a surprise. So let's start with our pick for the horror dollar this summer, which was The First Purge. And we didn't do too badly on this it made 100 and neither did the first purge it made 135 million dollars at the global box office on a budget of 13 million dollars i mean that's nothing to sniff at 
that perch just keeps on coming. And now it's got an Amazon Prime series as well. So everybody loves a perch. I don't know if I need a weekly purge. I'm going to watch it when I get an opportunity I haven't done yet. I love The Purge. The only one I don't like is the first one. I've met a couple of people who only like the first one and don't like everything afterwards, to which I would contend that if that's the way you are, you don't really like The Purge, because The Purge is everything after that first one. They're all the same. But I just I think it's hilarious. So I'm not sure I'm supposed to think it's hilarious, but it is hilarious. So there we go. You've got to be careful when you say, apart from The First Purge, not to be confused with... The first, the first purge, which is the film that we picked. But yes, very good, well done, good, well pointed out. Also doing uh, remarkably well is the continual downgrading of horror as a genre at all. With truth, bang, clash, clatter, or dare, which made ninety-four million dollars on a three-point-five million dollar budget. I'm. I've heard it was lazy and boring. I can well believe that. We were all very, very derisive about this movie, and I'm sure there's plenty of reasons to be so. Although in terms of return on bucks spent, they're the biggest people laughing on our list of horror, possibly the list as a whole. People went to see it because it was there, and that's what people have got to stop doing with horror if they want more of what else is in the list, which is not Slender Man. That made $49 million on a $10 million budget, so it was fine, but those truth or dare people are laughing at the Slender Man people, basically. Well, I think the, the Slender Man, very strange. It, from what I've heard, there's some rumblings that there's an awful lot in the trailer that didn't make into film, so it seems like a lot of the violence was taken out, People are thinking perhaps this was done as a result of the fact that there was some real-life violence associated with the Slender Man. Uh, and so everyone got cold feet about the project, even though that all, ha- all happened prior to the commissioning of this movie. So I don't know what they were thinking. But apparently there is a character who just ups and disappears halfway through the movie. It's because the character apparently committed suicide. But they just cut all that out. So someone's boyfriend just boop, disappears halfway through. Like, like the fact it's called Slender Man at all is the only advertising I think this thing got. Uh, everyone underwhelmed, very disappointing. Uh, Slenderman retreats back to the internet where he's the beloved creepypasta uh, we all love and admire. Yeah, we've had some budgets now, three, 13 million, 3.5 million, 10 million. So that gives you an idea of the budget of your average horror movie. So we say that The Strangers colon Prey at Night made $24 million. Well, it probably made its production money back. May even have turned a profit if it was in the Truth or Dare area, but... $24 million? Again, truth or dare people are laughing at the strangers pray at night. There's not really much more to say about that one, but this is one that got me, because probably not in Oz, and almost certainly not in the States, but you couldn't walk past a billboard or a bus in, like, April time when this came out in the UK. Ghost stories with that there Bilbo Baggins in it, portmanteau horror with all the sort of creepy vibe... People weren't up for it. Now, again, we've seen the budgets that are in play here. It's probably nearer the truth or dare than the thing. So maybe it's undisclosed, but probably somewhere in the five to six million dollar budget for this. $135,000, and that is a worldwide release. Ow. Yes, does this kill Portmanteau? Because I know it's, oh, according to Wiki, the box office was 3.9 million. Really? I got on Box Office Mojo for 135,000 and I double checked it. 
wonder where everyone else is getting their numbers from then, because 3.9 million is okay. Again, still probably a disappointment. Oh, no, 3.9 million is terrible. Yeah. That's really, it's still the bottom of the list. Yeah. But we didn't win just because our pick was second. We could not possibly have foreseen the enormous horror juggernaut that was a quiet place on a budget of $17 million pulling in $332 million. What? Yes. But then apparently it is very good. It's almost as good as certain highly popular science fiction franchises can pull in these days. So there'll be a sequel and another sequel after that. And I hope you hope you enjoy it. It's the new cow to milk, everybody. Because the whole point was that what people came back saying was it's really quality. It's not just your lazy... It's like, we're going to pick a a high concept, we're going to play it through, we're going to play with the idea, and we're going to actually spend another couple of passes on the script and good direction. Just shows what quality can bring you, apparently, $200 million at the box office. So I'm really hoping that the horror community of filmmakers takes on board the value, because I doubt, I mean, $17 million is not, I mean, it's one of the higher budgets, but it's not huge. And the other thing that's very important to note about that budget, and the, 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 what the return is, that they did the things that we kind of said probably, spent a bit longer on the script, didn't just cut corners and do all the stuff that is rampant in horror. They made something that people could engage with mentally and it gave them a huge box office return. Are you listening, people who make horror movies? But then don't stop making The Purge, because that was second, and even though that is very lazy, it's enjoyable lazy, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, now Quiet Place is a success, all the suits going to get involved and ruined. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think th- these things have happened before, like in the 70s, and then they start, you know, you start with Halloween and Texas Chainsaw, you end up with poltergeist and stuff like that and then uh, the return goes away because you've pumped too much money in i think there's a there's a ceiling in how much horror can make the the key to it is to make a quality film for as little money as possible and you will get a bunch of money not as much money as you'll get that should should be the ethos for every film that's ever made ever it's not exclusive to horror yeah well we'll come on to where i would possibly maybe disagree with you a bit later on but not right now because we've been on horrific Let's calm the kids down. Let's put them in front of something they're going to want to watch. Let's let Ian put on his smug face because he predicted that Incredibles 2 would romp away at the box office. And with a global box office on this performance of $1.1 billion, he wins the Internet Smug Prize for picking the correct thing to go. I believe my pick was just be contrarian, but... You know, there we go. Well, no, I mean, yours is based on experience of, of the fact that your son really likes the Hotel Transylvania and you don't mind having it on on a loop. I but should report, objection. over summer, he went off it. He now won't watch it. Oh. So I oh, probably dear. could have. Uh, nope, that went off the boil just the wrong time for you. Yeah. Incredibles 2, I mean, your objection was it's been, what, 14 years since the last one? And no longer than that, much longer than that. You were kind of saying that, hey, kids don't even know what this is. <laughs> 
counter-argument was parents remember The Incredibles very affectionately and will go take their kids to it. Yeah, it, it exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect it to make a billion dollars. Pixar, once again, still very much a contender, even though people think they're past the best. Well, I think it's still a prestige brand. I love superheroes, but I would not ever choose to watch The Incredibles. Not because I think it's bad, just because it's I'm like... It's miserable. That's why I don't like it. It's really miserable. Yeah, I find The Incredibles a bit... It's not very uplifting. Like, like, a, like... A, fa- a family of superheroes. Let's have fun with that. I mean, it feels like they only started having fun as a family of superheroes at the last ten minutes of the first film. You want that from the start. It's all incredibly depressed, and they can't do the job, and he has to he has to go get this strange job on an island working for a weirdo who's trying to kill him. All the other superheroes all get murdered. That's really horrible. Yeah. You know, the watchman of children's uh, superhero movies. Hotel Transylvania 3. Uh, now, we've got no budget. Disney doesn't seem to be, ha- may have to announce their budgets, but not till later or something. I don't know, but no Disney movie that we've got anything that has Disney's handprint on it has a budget attached to it. So we don't know how much they spent. We do know that Hotel Transylvania 3 had $80 million in its budget and made $342 million, which is handsome, but it's not a quiet place ROI. You know, it's, you know, in there. Um, yeah. And you'd think that that would be enough to kind of put it in second place, possibly. But pipping it with another $9 million uh, on a budget of $50 million, meaning that Peter Rabbit 2 is coming, is Peter Blimmin' Rabbit, which everybody hated, ironically. Oh, James Corden is rubbing his hands. There well, he, he is now, but the problem is that everybody found it intensely irritating. I think that the Peter Rabbit brand, Beatrix Potter, overrode the stink coming off this one. People like, it's, it's not good. Yeah, but you, you say it's not good, but it made a lot of money. I mean, there must be some word of mouth to go, yeah, it's okay. Someone here liked it. No, what's happened is that people have rushed it, because it was one of the first releases of the summer as well, is that people rushed to get their kids, and it was, they did one of the things like Easter holidays or a half term or something. And then they all came out, and I don't know, kids might like it, they might like it because they don't know what Peter Rabbit is meant to be but parents didn't like it for dead certain that for two weeks all of my Facebook feeds were nothing but parents going what the hell was that it was awful and actually a lot of kids got bored apparently although that might be just parents projecting I don't know but my son has had enough of Peter Rabbit on television that hasn't even got James Corden in it they do a cartoon on on the children's channel and he wants us to switch over every time it comes on Peter Rabbit has become a byword for irritating cartoon character <laughs> the the uh, the test is going to be the inevitable Peter Rabbit 2 so maybe we should make a note when Peter Rabbit 2 comes by we, we are predicting it is going to be not just less than the, the, the take home of this one, significantly less, because now everyone knows yeah. this is an all. This is a, this is yeah, a that's what brand. we want to know. That's what we want to see. When Peter Rabbit 2 comes out, we're rooting for it to fail. Uh, other news in family movies, uh, pretty much as expected. Christopher Robin, or rather, Disney's Christopher Robin, $165 million, which is, you know, all right. Probably they spent more money on it than they wanted to, given that return. Sherlock Gnomes, which had a... Right, the film is called Sherlock Gnomes. It's called Sherlock Gnomes, everybody. And somebody thought, do you know what I want to spend nearly $60 million on making? A film called Sherlock Gnomes. 
made 88 million. I hope you're happy with yourself. You're probably not. The Sherlock Gnomes, how much can you riff on that? Enough for a sketch? I, I would contend there's only enough to riff on there to make like a, to make a far side panel joke about the concept. Yeah. It, how can you stretch it to a movie? $59 million budget movie, which makes $88 million, which will not be covering the marketing. Like the elevator pitch into just two words. Sherlock Gnomes. I'm greenlighting that. Do it now. Here's $60 million. <laughs> Exactly. Isle of Dogs, I'm slightly less happy about it, only bringing in $64 million. Because, you know, where's Anderson? Quirky animation, it's not really for kids. I mean, they could have seen it coming. Somebody thought with that, I doubt it had $59 million worth of money behind it. I think Wes Anderson's probably a bit more thrifty than that. But $64 million has to be a bit of a kick in the teeth. It's not entirely unexpected, but people loved that movie who went to see it, but then it was a self-selecting audience, clearly. I've always had a difficult relationship with Wes Anderson movies, so... I, I think it's worthy, but I'm not, yeah, I don't know, there's much more to say about that. I mean, a, a sci-fi dystopia with cartoon dogs voiced by people like George Clooney. It was never going to be an easy sell, was it? You can always get celebrity casting for doing voice work in animation. Oh, but it's because George Clooney loves Wes Anderson and vice versa, so, uh, yeah. This is an interesting one. Obviously, the DCEU has been plagued with trouble to the extent that we're not doing the DCEU is screwed this year, because if we did, it would be like kicking someone when they're down. Even the quirky Teen Titans Go! exclamation point to the movies pulled in $49 million on a $10 million budget, and that's what's happened to DC at the movies, everybody. Ten million dollars, it ain't a lot for animation, is it? Let's face it. Well, it's a, tr- it's a traditional cell shaded as opposed to proper 3D. Teen Titans, though, that, that is cashable as far as children go. They, they like that franchise. My niece watches that on her iPad in the morning eating the cornflakes. So I, I know it's a thing they know about. I'm surprised it was pushed out so underwhelmingly with such a kind of, meh, maybe it'll do well, maybe it won't kind of a $10 million budget. That's straight to TV. That's straight to DVD kind of a budget. What are they talking about here? Yeah. Bottom of our stack here, DC collapse continues. Yeah, I think that DC as a whole are having a big crisis at the moment. It's the infinite crisis, but it's happening in the real world in film production studios, <laughs> not in the comics, the superheroes. So all the, all the superheroes standing around a grave on the grave is like the DC universe. As Affleck and uh, Cavill go... Yeah, nah, man. Uh, that's it, you know. It's like the party's over. We got no Snyder. We got no Affleck. We got no Cavill. It's all gone. It's finished. We still got Aquaman, though. We still got Aquaman. Put all our chips on Aquaman. I really like Jason Momoa. And it's like seeing Ryan Reynolds in, in Green Lantern. He's standing going, I didn't expect to be the last man standing. Well, it's funny, I tried to watch Justice League the other day because it's come onto Sky. Uh, I made it through the first... 12 minutes and at one point I was like yes there's Justice League in this one is Superman Batman Wonder Woman obviously uh, we've got Aquaman oh, come over here and say that in the sea yeah yeah brilliant hilarious and the Flash is he in it yes the Flash is in it and, uh, there's another guy who's the other guy uh, I don't know yeah I know after like 
four minutes, I was like, oh, a robot was in it. I went, oh, yes, Cyborg. Yes, the most iconic superhero name ever made. Oh, terrible. But anyway, okay, so uh, we need to laugh after that. So uh, let's look at the comedies. We both put our chips on Melissa McCarthy on this particular spin of the wheel, and her life of the party on an undisclosed budget pulled in $65 million at the uh, global box office, which, you know, is, uh, well, dead centre, to be honest, because underneath, like, well, I say dead centre. It's no, actually it's about... Not, it's, it's not good. Yeah, it's right at the bottom of the pile. Under this, all the only things that did worse than Life of the Party are Super Troopers 2, which on a budget of $13.5 million, racked in $30 million, didn't get a global release. So that is a domestic US-only box office. It's clear that this was like, oh, we'll put it out in the cinema, and then DVD worldwide. Uh, nobody cares about Super Troopers. We said this at the beginning of the summer. It came true. So the things that did worse than Super, Trooper two, Super Troopers 2 are really in trouble. One of which, as nobody could have predicted, certainly not us. Oh, yes, we did. Action Point. The guy from Jackass uh, in a comedy about roller coasters going... A comedy? Uh, a comedy about roller coasters going wrong, because everybody wants to think about that when they want to laugh. Well, Leo, this movie was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, budget $19 million, global, global box office, $5 million. Yeah, it came off the rails a bit, didn't it? Oh, it, you could just run and run with it. <laughs> just so oh. many ups and downs, Leo. <laughs> the audience were a bit... Coconut shy. <laughs> ah, right, we move on. Because the only thing was this, we don't know the budget for this movie, but we remember seeing this advert and just going, what are they thinking? <laughs> the Leisure Seeker, with Donald Sutherland driving a Winnebago with some kind of possibly Alzheimer's, because that's a hilarious situation, isn't it? Three million dollars at the box office. Three million. With Donald Sutherland in it. I mean, Donald Sutherland should be able... That probably doesn't cover his fee. Oh, well, I don't know what his fee would be these days. I can understand where, what they were thinking of with this one, because we have an ageing population. I mean, you get Michael Caine turning up in, in comedies about old people doing hijinks things all the time. So I, I could see their through-line reasoning on this one. It's just like Donald Sutherland, Alzheimer's in a camper van. It's, oh. What's there, what's there for me to grab onto here? I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know he does have Alzheimer's, but the advert strongly suggests that he may do. Sort of Mr. Magoo, but he's loopy. Yeah, yeah, sort of not really aware what's going on in charge of a 20-ton leisure vehicle. Okay, whatever. Right, so we can understand well why the things that did worse than the life of the party did worse. Uh, and the life of the party didn't do great. What beat Life of the Party at the box office? Well, the first thing was old ladies reading saucy novels in Book Club, which raked in $68 million, which no budget known, but I'm imagining that's a healthy return on whatever they spent on that movie. I, I, I think it was probably less than $10 million, yeah. I, I yeah. would have thought. And it's strange, this is the film that keeps getting mentioned, not so much talked about, but people bring it up for some reason. So it, it clearly got noticed I'm not sure whether it's just ironically mentioned or not. Now, this one is su surprises the hell out of me. What beat both Live of the Party and Book Club on a budget of $28 million? It's not a great return, but it's serviceable. 
Tag made $77 million at the global box office. Oh, and that's it. It's, it's, that's going to start a whole chain of films based on children's playground games. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah, and finally, in the comedy uh, region, we come to the two that don't really... It's not, not really a huge surprise that they made some money. One of them might surprise you, though. Game Night, which came out in March, on a budget of $37 million, pulled in $117 million. Well done, Game Night. Great, good, fine, whatever. This is the one, though. Crazy Rich Asians. On a budget of $30 million... Pulling in $208 million, and I believe it's still on release. Uh, I mean, it's not Quiet Place money, but it's no. there's going to be a Crazy Rich Asians too. Oh, guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Everyone who went and saw this movie says they had a wonderful time. There's been much punditry about it online, which I have ignored, because I think people having fun is enough, and I don't need it to be analysed to death. I think we were slightly kind of, the title put us off a little bit. It made us a little bit uncomfortable. But we were never the target audience to go see this film anyway. Yeah, we were saying, like, I was saying, because it was quite late, obviously it's out now uh, in, in September, so it's late August, early September release. The concept of having a film called Crazy Rich Asians is inherently racially troubling. But people seem not to worry about that. Because it's gone Ken Leong in it. What more do you want? Ah! I feel in need of some thrills and spills after that one. Uh, so good job that the next category is action thrillers. We both picked out battlers in action thrillers. And one of the lessons that this list will teach us is not to pick action movies as battlers, because it doesn't matter whether they do fine or not. They're not going to make significantly more than their budget. Their budgets are always pretty big, unless maybe this year's will, will change things a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but I picked Mission Impossible Fallout as the winner, and Mission Impossible Fallout was the winner, to, I guess, nobody's surprise, because I think you picked Tomb Raider as your winner because you felt some loyalty to the Tomb Raider franchise, right? Uh, I can't remember now. I thought I was kind of battler Tomb Raider. I picked Tomb Raider as my number one? Really? As you, you thought it was going to do fine at the box office. Really? Okay, well, yeah, I don't think of that now. Yeah, Even okay. looking at the list, I wouldn't say that now. I, I did go see Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable. It suddenly occurs to me, oh, this is where James Bond went. Yeah, I think you've probably got a good point there. Our battlers, incidentally, were Skyscraper and The Equalizer 2. So plenty to, to look at here. Now, you picked Skyscraper. I picked Equalizer 2. We, we weren't out of our minds here. Not totally. Uh, right, just to clear up the numbers. Mission Impossible Fallout. Budget, $178 million. So one of our... They spent a lot of money on that, which is probably obvious when you watch it. Pulled in $784 million. Mission Impossible continues. Mission Impossible will continue until, I think... Tom Cruise actually starts to fall apart. Coming in second after that, but quite a long way behind in second, is Skyscraper uh, with The Rock, or Dwayne Johnson, as he prefers. Uh, you picked this as your battler. It did pull in $301 million. What prohibits it from being a battler is that it, uh, it cost $125 million to make. So it only doubled its box office, yeah, which it, these it, days... Frankly, a bit underwhelming. It is a bit, but I, I did go and see Skyscraper, and it's it's just like playing a video game, because everything gets introduced at the beginning, kind of comes up later as a location you're going to visit. So it's got a very sort of level, quite literally, in fact, level-based design of environments to go through, and there's various bosses placed as you progress as well. There's going to be some irony coming in here later, uh, I can see. 
Well, no, because what was the other rock film? It was, of course, Rampage, which is, of course, based on an actual video game. Let's just skip the uh, one in that is in between now, uh, because we, we're still on your pace. You picked uh, Tomb Raider. It had a budget of $94 million. It pulled in $273 million, which means it's kind of in the same area as Skyscraper, really, in terms of performance, you know? Yeah, it, it did It did fine, not brilliantly, so we might not see another one. It actually did better than I thought, because Tomb Raider popped up, and of course you get your obligatory two weeks to go see it. And then it utterly disappeared from the cinema entirely here in Australia. So I'm actually surprised it's made as much money as it did. I was bracing myself for this being an ignoble flop. It's just like, eh. There are some ignoble flops. We've had one. They come more coming up, but uh, this isn't <laughs> one of them, no. No, no. Uh, no and then, no, the, as, as a fanboy, I'm okay. In the same area, Equalizer 2, which I picked as a battler, did a very creditable $184 million on a budget of $62 million. So, Equalizer 3, not out of the question. I think the Equalizer is a franchise that is working. I think they need to push it more, and it will probably make more money. Yes, yes. Because the thing about it is, unlike Mission Impossible, where we're having a little bit of a chuckle about the fact that uh, Tom Cruise is, is getting a bit, getting on a bit to be playing a guy who hangs out in airplanes and all this kind of stuff, The Equalizer 2 relies on Denzel gracefully aging as he shoots everyone in the room because he's supposed to be old. And so Denzel's done some great work. There. We, we don't have Taken anymore, so I kind of feel like Denzel Washington's picked up the baton of the, you know, yeah, absolutely, year old, sixty-year-old man uh, goes on killing spree. Yeah, I mean that. Now that you come to mention that, if they could uh, rope uh, Europa into uh, like switch companies or something, I don't know how those things work, but it, yeah, it, that kind of ethic where you try and pull the budget as low as possible, Equalizer goes to Italy or something, that would be fine. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, uh, we've also got down the bottom Red Sparrow, which was out quite early in the year, $69 million budget, $151 million, so definitely did worse than The Equalizer. I'd say it came out apologetically early. Yeah. Let's just uh, take a moment to uh, say poor Joe Carnahan. Now, uh, do you know who Joe Carnahan is? No, in late uh, Joe Carnahan uh, did a low-budget action movie called Smoking Aces, which went over quite well. And then following this, he was given the job of the A-Team reboot. You see where this is going? Yes, yes. And now he has been given the job of the Death Wish reboot with Bruce Willis in it. Only got a domestic release, had a budget of $30 million, made $34 million at the US box office. Joe Carnahan does good work, but he cannot get people to go see his movies. Poor Joe Carnahan. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, they only released it domestically, so they had no faith in this project extending globally. Uh, apparently, people don't want, to go, don't want to go see Bruce Willis in an action film anymore, which is mildly... Well, after the last few Die Hard ones, who can blame them? Death Wish, you know, it has a somewhat lurid past in cinema, but it's still a cashable name in terms of elderly actor goes around killing lots of punks. And surprise, it's done as as poorly as I had. This was milkable in terms of a reboot. Uh, this could have been up there with Equalizer and Taken. This is all very sad. Yeah, well, I mean, let's take a moment to compare Death Wish to the Equalizer 2. The big problem, and I didn't realise that this was actually a thing. This is how liberal and British I am. The Equalizer has a big problem in that its star is black. Mm. This is going to be a laughable thing. 
I don't think that the kind of right-wing person who likes to see punks getting shot in R-rated movies is particularly... I can't... This is the world we live in. It's like, I don't understand why, but that's the thing. So to have Death Wish do worse than it is just another punch in the face for that kind of idea. I think, I mean, Denzel Washington should be a lot bigger star than he is. I just give you a basic premise. People won't go see Equalizer because it's got Denzel Washington. Because uh, I think I think Denzel Washington is Denzel Washington. He, he... Yeah, but and I love Denzel Washington, and I've always want I've always noticed, or I've become to notice that he should be a lot like much bigger profile star than he actually is, and I can't come up with a reason why other than race stuff. Like that, because this is the thing. Well, in America, they have stuff like a black comedy channel and stuff like that. It's just weird. I don't understand it. Maybe I'm I completely. I don't want to venture too far into that territory because it's not the blamange territory. Blamange. I understand. But, but, uh, but, I, but I will point. Hollywood is is an, a, a very liberal institution. It is not a conservative oh, yeah. institution. So if Denzel Washington's not getting work. It, it's 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 mostly liberal producers oh, who aren't giving him gigs. No, no, but he does, he does, he gets work. It's not that he doesn't get work. So people don't turn up to watch the movie. But when I think back over things like The First Equalizer, Deja Vu, I mean, he's made a lot of movies which should have made, as far as I'm concerned, a lot more bang than they have. I don't, Inside Man, I don't understand why he's not a bigger box office role because he's brilliant and charismatic and a good actor and all of these things. And it doesn't seem to be counting for anything, and I don't understand why. So I came up with a reason. Uh, that's the lowest common denominator, denominator for that. I am just going to say, uh, let's not just throw racism out there and throw up our hands at it. I mean, that, that's 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 racism of the gaps, if you, if for want of a better expression. I, sp- I suppose. Okay, so um, just on a right. So this is weird. That we were going through this, scratching our heads. I'm still scratching my head about this. There's a little film there called Breaking In. With a budget of $6 million, it made $51 million. And at the beginning of the song, we were like, somebody thinks this will make money. And somebody was right. <laughs> it's like exactly the opposite of Sherlock Knives. If the budget was only $6 million, and it, it'd be, it would have to make some money. If it, if it got to, uh, what would it be, $18 million? It would have made three times its, yeah. its initial budget, which is breaking even. Yeah, exactly. For what it is, it's done brilliantly. Yeah. I, I colour me contrite. Uh, and then, so the one that we haven't mentioned, which came in between uh, our battlers and our picks, was Ocean's 8, which on a budget of $70 million pulled in $296 million. Well done, Ocean's 8, I guess. I went and saw it with family, and we all came out feeling a little bit underwhelmed. All right, okay. And it was a mixed group as well. It wasn't just us guys all grumbling. I, I felt there's there's been better caper movies done, but it was fine. It was It was... Much like Ghostbusters, at the end of the day, you come out and go, that is a solid three-star movie. It was not awful, it was not terrible, but it was neither good nor outstanding. It was just like, that is an adequately functional movie that uh, does a caper, which just happens to have an all-female cast. So, yes. Uh, So, I mean, there's not much to say about it. Ocean's 8 was made for money, made its money back, happened... We, um, it's like and because of how they've, they've there is. rolled it back to being an Ocean's 8 they've got space there for an Ocean's 9 so sci-fi fantasy is the next category because there's nothing to more to say about Ocean's 8 at all 
prepare to put your smug face uh, back on along with whoever made Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because on a budget of $170 million, it made $1.3 billion. A few things to say here. This is the film directed by the guy who was sacked from being a director of the third Star Wars movie. 1.3 billion is what The Last Jedi made. So you can, you can analyze that about whether that was a good decision or not to remove him and put back in, um, J.J. Abrams to do the third film. Uh, but having seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I don't think it deserved to make 1.3 billion in, uh, uh, Everyone hated it. Yes, I saw it too. I was like, oh my god. I thought this was an open goal. Let's go to an island uh, that's falling apart. The dinosaurs are in danger. La la la. No, it's awful. It's, it's awful. It's an awful sequel. I and also, I feel they've buggered the franchise up now as well. Where do you go with this after this film? I mean, it was going to do well. I didn't think it was going to do that well. And I, I don't think it should have done that well. Because word of mouth wasn't backing this film up. So we'll we'll see how we feel about the next Jurassic World film. Yeah, because they're now inevitably going to have to do, go for another one, because look at that box office return. But people were just like turning up because it had Jurassic World in it. They wanted to see them dinos. They saw them and then they went. Actually, I wanted a bit more than that. Have we done dinos in a stately home yet? Right, thank you. Right, we won't do my pick because I'm sure we'll have a little bit to say about that shortly. Let's do our turkeys quickly on this list. I went for Pacific Rim Uprising being a turkey, which it hasn't, it's not as big as some of the turkeys that we've seen because of the complete failure to make money, uh, here. In fact, it did make a teeny weeny bit of money, just a little bit, very, very underwhelming. Budget of $150 million, return $290 million at the global box office. Yeah, that's, that's not breaking even in, in a no. film account. Pacific Rim is a dead franchise. Uh, it is no, going no further. Uh, there we go. It's over, everybody. Yeah, it, it was blink and you miss it in the cinema as well. So. Yeah, so there we go. You picked A Wrinkle in Time. Now, the budget of A Wrinkle in Time has not been disclosed because it's... Dis- it was, uh, it was a hundred million. Do you know that for certain? Yes, it was just uh, just over 100 million, I believe. All ah, right, so uh, ah, yes, I believe we had a short uh, conversation about that. Yeah. I use Box Office Mojo, and I believe Box Office Mojo uses like they declare a budget and they put it in there. So this isn't declared; it's just kind of known. It made 132 million dollars um, and has some fans. So Lifetime, this movie is probably going to be fine. Box Office slightly underwhelming. I went to see it because it was a book my gran gave me to read, and I really loved it. And I took Sue on my birthday to go and see it, and she really loved it too, so much so she bought the book. It's not a turkey by any means. Disney had in their eye something other than it being a big cinema stomper. This is disappointing. It hasn't broken even. No, not a, not at all. There, there's rumbling of some blomlonginess rumbling around it, I've, I, which I haven't looked into too deeply. They were daring a bit of a blomlon, like the whole Ghostbusters thing of like, I dare you to be outraged about this. Oh, they're outraged about this. Well, well there we go. I'm going to make an article about this saying how, how outrageous is they're outraged that I tried dared you to be outraged about it. I don't know. I've stayed away from all that because I just don't like it in my headspace anymore in, in my things I like to follow. No. There, there are some fans who feel they, it was not quite so faithful to the book. What are your feelings on the faithfulness of it? Well, I read the book when I was like eight. So, but I remember most of the plot, okay? So let's be clear about that. 
I absolutely loved the experience. I think when people do books, particularly beloved books, this whole idea of faithfulness is very important. If we take a leaf out of Marvel's book, are those faithful adaptations of the characters that we see in the MCU? Not in the sense that people mean it when they talk about a book, but they're fine. They're like fine, like comic fans are like, the interpretation of the character is faithful. And was this a faithful adaptation of the kinds of things that the Winklin Times back? I would say absolutely. Was it an exact replica of what happens in the book? I mean, this is an interesting thing, because Watchmen was very faithful to the comic book, but I, it felt like it didn't, it just kind of was like a museum. So that's the thing. I think that if people wanted a museum reproduction of A Wrinkle in Time, then that's not going to happen. But did it feel good? Yes. Oh, so it was an enjoyable film in of itself as well. It was very wacky, but then it's kind of supposed to be. I mean, it's a bit of a bold project. It's the kind of thing I like that nobody else does. It's one of those. But Sue liked it as well. And it just, yeah, there's a lot to chew on in that movie. And that's what you should have. And it was fine. It might not have broken even, but it certainly is not the worst on the list no, by any no, stretch no. of the image. Uh, so, so we've done our turkeys. Going down under the, the, the wrinkly time, because there's things under there, made less than 132 million. The Predator, uh, now admittedly we're recording this in late September, so it's got time to do a little bit better, but on a budget of $88 million, it would have to do quite significantly more business and it's had its opening weekend because it's made 101 million dollars at the time of recording so the predator is uh not hunting well tonight he's going hungry people have been coming out going it's okay no one is particularly offended by it they're all yeah, it was all right uh, but they are saying it's not a, it's not your classic Predator formula. The number of uh, so moans I've seen that this is the worst Predator movie, or worst movie of the year, people have gone that far. Like, they've gone, like, what have I just spent an hour and a half watching? It was awful. It was terrible. I, there is no worse movie on this planet than The Predator. I've seen quite a lot of that, to be honest. Okay, well, I haven't seen it yet. I meant to go see it this weekend, and I think this weekend's going to be my last chance as well, so this may have to be a Netflix uh, experience for me. Uh, but I will get it on DVD, because for some reason I have all the other Predator films on DVD. I've abandoned Aliens, so Predator's the, Predator's the only one left I'm following these days. Yes, I think that, uh, yeah, Aliens has been convincingly yes. abandoned. Terminator, I don't collect that anymore. Aliens, not the Predator. I'm sticking with you, guy. I didn't think it was going to be you, Last Man Standing, but apparently, there well, you are. Predator, you know. You know. Clicking, yeah, clicking alien gadgets, you. Yeah, so uh, uh, Darkest Minds, which we were like, I remember us going on about how quaint it was that they were putting out a, th- a, y- a YA adaptation about uh, superhero-like teenagers this year. We were like, that ship has sailed. Guess what, everyone? The ship has sailed. Budget, $34 million. So for a sci-fi project, not over the top. Return, Forty million dollars. Oh dear, darkest minds. Uh, it ended on a cliffhanger as well. Did it? Oh, so yeah. Young adult, uh, the ship has sailed. I think that one of the things that I note is for those of us who like Hunger Games and Maze Runner, those are finished. For those weirdos that like the uh, that one about divergent that one i think that got an ending not sure and obviously yeah, eventually the twilight people they got their thing basically they've got those on their shelves they're not going anywhere 
I've got Hunger Games. If I want to watch Hunger Games, I'll watch Hunger Games. I like Maze Runner. If I want to watch Maze Runner, I've got Maze Runner there. I don't need another young adult franchise. I'm all young adulted up. They're going to have to wait until those franchises are old enough that a new generation needs something for them. And Darkest Minds is in limbo now. That's my opinion. Well, a few things to say here. First of all, budget of 34 million. We both approve. This is a very modest budget for what they're doing. So they're, they're, they were on, on strong footings. So they get a good return on this film. Even it did quite modestly. It didn't do very well at all. I think a lot of it comes down to the trailers doing a bad job because they did try to sell it like it was another Hunger Games. Uh, like, because they did all the little salutes and everything, which is, which is a very Hunger Games piece of agonography. They also were really upselling the uh, superhero element of it as well. They didn't really sell the core concept of it, which is that all the children have died apart from these mutants, which were organized into different groups with different types of superpowers, and they escape from a compound and go on the run. That's the story of Darkest Mind, and the trailer does not sell that to you. They sell it to you as a messiah story. Oh, well, there we go. I don't think anything was going to rescue it, to be honest. Uh, Just to mention a couple that uh, we can't really report much on, the Captive State one, which is about people in an occupied alien thing, that's been rescheduled. Still going to get a release at some time. Probably, I'm imagining, first week of February next year. Not saying they're relegating it to the graveyard or anything, but hey, they're relegating it to the graveyard. And as as uh, Red, Redditor Media have a great expression for it, which is F-U, it's January. Yeah. And of course... Titan. The Titan. I see you put down as N-A. Not applicable. Oh, I thought it stood for uh, Netflix Assigned. Right, this is the thing. It got released on Netflix everywhere, except the UK, where it got a cinema release, except it didn't. Basically, because the cinema was supposed to put it out, you have to pay to rent the Titan now, with everybody knowing in the UK that it's been released... And then somebody reviewed it and said, this is terrible. If they wanted people not to watch this movie, they couldn't have done a more thorough job. Like, nobody wanted to watch it where it's free. And in the one place where they could have made some money by charging for it, they didn't because they released it for free everywhere else. Obviously, the people who made The Titan hate Sam Worthington as much as we do. Because (laughs) they they went to the... The, the the trouble of making a massive sci-fi movie, and you know, he turned up on set and he goes, don't think it's a trick. There's definitely money going on here, and there's green screen, and they showed him, like, rushes and stuff, and all this kind of... And then... <laughs> and they go, so when's it again in the cinema? Well, here's the thing, Sam. <laughs> oh, Lord. It was, it was fine for me, because it was basically on tap through my Netflix, but you had to pay for this insomnia cure. It's just not worth the money. Oh, yeah, no, I don't, uh, yes, it's disappeared without trace. Like, nobody cares about it at all. We only care about it because it was on the list, and now we know it's just, yes, it's, the problem is, because it didn't, we've got no financial information, it can't be the turkey. And besides which, it's too obvious. Basically, they had to spend money to produce this for us to know that nobody was going to care. And that's what gets me. It's like, you could have spent that money on anything else. Anything. Could have bought, like, a a big warehouse full of bubblegum, you know? And you'd have a big warehouse full of bubblegum to show for that. But this... This is some strange tax (laughs) write-off. Yeah, UK tax laws that had to do a a cinema release. Maybe. Uh, the tight right. So uh, under the, t- the dinosaurs uh, effectively stomped all over. Ready Player One, which made five hundred eighty-two million dollars on a budget. I don't know what it was, but I'm sure that's fine. The Meg, 
Oh, yeah, we'll come back to the Meg in a second. Rampage, based on a video game, Dwayne Johnson, $426 million pulled in off a $120 million budget. Rampage 2, not unlikely. Well, here, because uh, I played a mini little side game of my own, because there were two rock movies this year, and I said Skyscraper would be the better of the two. Uh, Rampage is, is clearly uh, romped home on a much smaller budget. Yes. So, uh, wrong there. Monsters, once again, ruling sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we've only got two films in the sci-fi fantasy uh, alone genre to consider. Uh, and those are The Meg, which on a budget of $130 million, which seems a bit much for a, a giant shark movie, but hey, whatever, pulled in $518 million at the global box office. Well, I saw the trailer and I finally figured out why it was called The Meg, because it's about a megalodon. Yes, I know that. I was yes. aware of that at the time, but I'm not. Oh, I wasn't, because one of my major complaints was the Meg doesn't tell me uh, Jason Statham fights, fights giant monsters in water. It, it tells me he's got download problems or something. <laughs> okay, fine. You can't argue with them numbers. That is pretty, as I've put on the notes, pretty good. Five hundred eighty. Yeah. The Meg Two is a shoe in. There's going to be more giant sharks. Uh, yeah. Just they're going to need. Bigger boat. boat. Oh, We're going to need a bigger yeah. underwater base. Yes. So there we go. So that's that's amazing. Uh, not. It's like, I mean, this is the point. The Meg made five hundred. Just want you, everybody to hold this. Five hundred eighteen million dollars for Jason Statham fights a giant dinosaur shark. Solo, a Star Wars story. My pick for the summer winner made. $392 million. Don't know how much it costs, but oh, surely, it's, ouch. It's, it's the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made, because they had to reshoot most of it. There's a lot to say about this, which I will get to later. I saw Solo. It's fine. I, imagine what a backstory for Han Solo would be like. It was basically that. I I was very cynical that it was it was going to make less than a billion dollars, and you, and you were like, oh, well, I'll make a note of that, and we'll see how we feel about it later. And I'll be honest with you, Leo, its failure exceeded even my cynical, I, I'm fed up with Star Wars perspective. It, it shocked even me how badly this film did relative to a Star Wars film. They don't know for sure, but the calculation is it's $80 million shy of its budget. Yeah, so, uh, wow, that is, I mean, Star Wars is screwed. Show coming up later in the season. There's not much more to oh, say the, on the that. The good news is that Kathleen but, Kennedy's had a had a contract renewed for another three years, so it's well held. I think the problem here may be overconfidence. Uh, there was uh, I watched something that was trying to explain why Marvel was running away with it, why Star Wars was was languishing, and uh, essentially you can already see that they've made the wrong choice. Because the choice that they've made, rather than do what I would do, which would be, hey, we've got a law problem. All the law that we have is either in the extended universe where only some super fans know about it, or in the movies. And we need people to be bedded in a bit more and more familiar with it. So let's take smaller budgets and make some smaller stuff. And you know, This is in the Star Wars universe, but it's not like the main saga it's just off not a spin-off like solo spin-off like you know like more independent sci-fi type of stuff and 
pepper those throughout and not worry about how much money they're making. Try some really risky stuff, like in terms of going away from this main sci-fi fantasy thing. And instead what they've done is go, well, the best thing to do is just not really make any Star Wars movies and place pepper them further apart. That seems to do well for them. It's like... Uh, yeah, you know, Leo, I've just been bombarded with too many high-quality Star Wars films. I'm all tuckered out. It's like there's never really good Star Wars film down the cinema. I don't think I can. I, my heart can't stand this excitement. I'm going to have to pass. No, that is that is not the world we live in. There's plenty to say. I think we should stick to, yeah. just if you're going to comment at all, let's just stick to just solo I'm, here. Fundamentally, yeah. this is a Star Wars film no one was asking for. We didn't need a Han Solo backstory. And as far as doing a Han Solo backstory goes, it was fine. In terms of things people actually woke up and got interested in, they were in the, in the last two minutes of this movie and will now never be followed up on because they've hit the brakes on Star Wars. They're just going to tickle one out once every two years, maybe once every three years. Let you build up some excitement and anticipation for a Star Wars film again. Get over the trauma of the last one. Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to say that's not how it works, but we'll move on. Oh, no. Basically, all everyone has to re- remember is Han Solo got beaten by a dinosaur shark and Jason Statham. Well, I think it beat itself. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. terrible, uh, but we'll we'll come back. It just, yeah, just... Um, totally underwhelming now this is a i almost feel like this is a bit of a soft shoe ending like we've got got much to kind of uh unpick or do we on this one so just as to nobody's surprise in any way the way that the superheroes shook out this year is we both picked avengers infinity war as the winner as indeed it kind of is of everything the infinity war beats everything, having clocked in over $2 billion at the box office. Black Panther comes in a creditable second, right? $1.34 billion for Black Panther. Uh, and I'll come back to my point about that in a minute. But Deadpool 2, our R-rated potty-mouthed superhero spin-off, okay, $734 million off a $110 million budget. And even though Ryan Reynolds was kind of, and indeed everyone else was kind of soft peddling, like, oh, maybe we won't do Deadpool 3, maybe it'll just go straight to X-Force. It's going to have Deadpool 3 colon X-Force on the poster because nobody argues with that kind of return. Ant-Man and the Wasp, a very creditable $620 million at the box office. And the only point I wanted to make is Ant-Man is if anything, and the Wasp, especially with the Wasp along with it, more recognisable Marvel brand than Black Panther. They're about the same. There's not much in it, but I would say more uh, mad people. But Black Panther absolutely kicked the crap out of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, I mean, it's just, and I love, I mean, I love it all. So it doesn't matter to me. It's like asking you to pick your favorite child. It's not going to happen. Like I thought both were fine, but I'm happy for them both because they've both done great. Uh, and Avengers Infinity War was there. So that's cool. I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm on the wasp. I'll catch it on Netflix. Uh, so I'm kind of happy for you because I, I know you have a lot of affection for Ant-Man. And of the, th- of all the line that we have here, I would say Ant-Man, uh, franchises, 
for want of a better word, the most traditional Marvel superhero movie we, we have here yes. in terms of it, its format. Uh, everything else is kind of breaking the mold in some uh, fashion or another. So, I mean, the rumblings I got was Ant-Man was disappointing uh, in terms of its box office returns. I mean, maybe below expectations? I don't know. I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine it was hugely budgeted. I, I will say it, it is up on the yeah. first Ant-Man film in terms yeah. of returns. It's, it's, well, that's fine. It's a good movie. But I, I don't, I mean, anyone who was expecting it to be, like, the things that you require out of your Ant-Man sequel, especially if it's called Ant-Man and the Wasp, is that Ant-Man and the Wasp do some cool stuff. I mean, what, in fact, exceeded my expectations in the visual invention of the making things bigger and smaller action scenes. Like, I was like, oh yeah, I wasn't really thinking, like, they really kind of, those set pieces, because they're like, well, you won't see this. This is what you see in Ant-Man, is things getting bigger and smaller to exciting, thrilling, comedic effect. And so the way that they covered that ground is perfect. Well, they couldn't have done any better than that. Plus, you get to see Michael Douglas, like, doing such a good job even phoning it in. Like, it's brilliant, because he's like... This is fun. He's like obviously having fun, making a bunch of money and just turning it in and not, it's not your Bruce Willis phoning it in where it looks like even on screen, it looks like they've only just slapped him around the face, having pulled him out of a Winnebago. This is Michael Douglas going, <laughs> I'm going to chew a bit of scenery here and hi everyone, how's it going? Oh, I'll just have a coffee. Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, he's happy to be there and he's doing a fine job, but he's not pushing it. And that's fine because it gives the leads room to be the leads. You know, he's really on his game. And then you've got Michelle Pfeiffer being Michael Douglas's wife. It, that might be a spoiler. I don't know whether people did know that or didn't know that. But anyway, she turns up. It's all good. She does a great job. Uh, she's clearly gone on that idea of, I want to look like an old woman who's lived in the subatomic universe for God knows how long. Because she, you know, I've anything, the aging makeup. Like, this is a hilarious thing about Michelle Pfeiffer. They had to do some aging makeup clearly on her because she doesn't look old enough. Uh, which is like, wow. You've got great genes, woman. Uh, I don't want to talk about the ones on your legs. Strangely enough, just a very quick tangent, one of the things that attracted her coming back to acting after a short break and she made stardust was the fact that she was slowly going to deteriorate in age over the course of the film. That was the point of interest. Well, exactly. I heard so, that story. Anti-vanity. So, yes. So she wants older women to look older. And the, I find it quite hilarious that it was obvious they had to make her look more old, even. The positioning of Ant-Man is, is interesting because you had Black Panther, which everyone got very excited about. You've got science fiction, fantasy, modern world at the same time, a fantasy science fiction world. And about kings and successions and armies. And it was a very enjoyable film. People loved it. And then you've got Avengers Infinity War. Oh, my goodness. And then Ant-Man. And it, I do feel like it, it was a somewhat muted thing to come next episodically, uh, especially when you it's, had Deadpool 2 well, too. Just looming beyond. Well, Deadpool 2 is a different company, so they had no control yes. over that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I know, but. Here's the thing. Age of Ultron was followed by Ant-Man, and it worked out fine for all per parties involved. So they've done yeah, the same. Age of, Ultra, Age of Ultron was not a cliffhanger film. 
It was the end of end of a sequence film. Yeah, I guess. Well, I think there was that idea that you would have this kind of thing and then have a little coda. So Ant-Man, again, is playing the coda. And it's still playing the coda. It's playing the coda to this thing. They've got two movies in between Infinity War and Infinity War Part 2, yeah, which are Ant-Man and Captain Marvel. Now, Captain Marvel is a throwback movie, mostly. But an Ant-Man takes place in the Interrenum. I am still pulling, and I... I We've got a week to find out, and I'm doubting it horrendously. But it would be really, really, really nice and would be thematically appropriate. Because at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, obviously current events... It's explanation for why Ant-Man is not in Infinity War is Bob on. They clearly, they stitched that up way in advance. It's perfect. Like you go, oh, right, okay, well, now you may continue. Like, they get out of the way, first few minutes of the film, and you're like, I am satisfied with that explanation. And so we know that the events of Ant-Man are happening sort of contemporaneously. I think what happens is that Ant-Man happens, the what most of the film, then the Infinity War happens after those events, in the few weeks in between the end of the film and the post-credit sequence. And the post-credit sequence happens... At the end, like, you know, literally the point at which Thanos snaps his fingers is in that post-credit sequence. So you know what's going to happen. And leaves Ant-Man in a place where it's very intriguing how they're then going to bring him back out in Infinity War Part 2. And if that is all the work they're going to do in between the two movies, it's a bit of a shame. What I would like to see is that the Sony-Marvel partnership is deeper than they have let on, because Venom thematically is like, release your inner anti-hero. They've banged on and on about Venom's, like, the dark, R-rated... People have been moaning this week, by the way, that it's got a 15 rating, despite the fact that, to get an 18 rating these days... You have to go a long, 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 long way. You can do quite a lot in a 15-rated movie in this day and age. So I don't see where the problem is. And it's PG-13 in the States, which explains to me that the UK have got an uncut Venom and the US have got a cut Venom. That's what I think. And if Venom were to take place in the bit after the end of Ant-Man, before the flashback and into the thing, in a world that has half its population missing and virtually no superheroes, it would be peachy because it's just a little thing you could throw in there that totally explains why we're relying on Venom to help us out right now. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. I think they're going to keep it hermetically sealed. And besides which, we don't know how they're going to resolve half the world disappearing. We've both expressed theories on this matter. One could be there's going to be a big undo button. So it it never happened. There's only so much you can lay down in terms of happening in between the two Avengers films. Yeah, I mean, just saying that mood-wise, ironically, and I don't think, if they aren't, you know, still in cahoots, because apart from anything else, it explains why you've got a Venom movie that doesn't even mention Spider-Man, because, hey, Spider-Man's not there. Um, Yeah, that, that... 
that's kind of one of my things. I mean, they, they brought Spider-Man back in. And I thought they were going to have to do because Tony Stark would go, hey, I found this great new molecule you can use for your costume. And then they can all go slightly awry a movie later. And then Venom goes creeping around and Eddie Brock comes along. You know, there's there, there are ways they could have played it if they do the long game. But Marvel's any company that plays the long game. Sony, Warner Brothers, they don't play along. They want instant gratification in terms yeah. of the payoff. So I'm not surprised when, hey, let's go straight Eddie Brock and just hammers that look like a dark version of Spider-Man for no particular reason. I, I'm, not, I'm not averse to Venom. I'll be going to see it. I think it's probably going to be fine. Uh, at least fine, if not yeah. better than fine. What's crazy is that they've got so many story hooks that would allow them to interplay it just as an experiment. And if they haven't taken that opportunity, because they can back straight out of it if it doesn't work, as they're indeed going to have to back straight out of whatever they've done if it turns out to be rubbish anyway. So if you're going to, if there's, you know, a greater than 70% chance you're going to have to back straight out of whatever you've done, why not go for the riskier proposition? So, yeah, that's the way I view it. And as well as which, it does mean that the interranium uh, in the Infinity War universe is a little bit underwhelming. But we'll we'll uh, reconvene on that next year. So superhero-wise, uh, no surprises particularly. Uh, I suppose the only thing that we could do is just say, at the moment, the top ten for this year on Wikipedia uh, contains two films made only for the Chinese audience. Uh, but uh, what I have noted, uh, Venom being the symbiote-coated tip of a, a winter movie extravaganza, I mean, we've got Fantastic Beasts coming out, we've got, you know, all this stuff. I mean, this is one of the things about Solo. It's like they just stuck to their Christmas release slot. I'm sure Solo would have done better. Well, everyone's saying next Christmas, uh, when the, 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 th- the third Disney Star Wars trilogy film will come out, is actually quite packed with with some uh, proper competition on it. Yeah. Film, including another Rock Into the Jungle film. Not Jumanji. The jungle film, you know, yeah. Jumanji film. I'm, Jumanji film. Well, yeah, because we've got, um, as well, Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet coming out in the next couple of months. Essentially, winter is becoming quite stocked with stuff now. I mean, there's this bit like the... Basically, you have summer... Then you have a little bit of a pause around about September in which things that weren't quite good enough to be out in summer come out. And then from October through to mid-December, it's just more movies. Like, the whole year is chock full of opportunity. So I doubt that those bottom-rung top ten entries are going to remain there uh, throughout, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite excited about all of the upcoming films. The fact that Star Wars has fallen to one side, I'm like, that's kind of unfortunate because I'm a big Star Wars fan, but there's plenty of material here. I'm not bereft of things to get excited about by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, this, which is perhaps the biggest problem Star Wars has. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing. So, uh, what we got, let's just, uh, uh to close out the, this, uh, review episode, which is obviously the first episode of season three over at Avenge of the 80s Kids. Uh, thank you very much. It's our third season. You can't cancel us because we can't be stopped because we don't get paid. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what we've got coming up, we've got coming up, uh, our Halloween special, of course, which is going to be about, uh, sort of the whole kids on bikes, 80s nostalgia blip that I think it might even be over now. I mean, I know we've got Stranger Things coming back in 2019, but I think them sitting a year out has really done a, created a problem. And it, of course, was a, 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 
movie phenomenon uh close of 2017 uh, but isn't coming back till 2019 and when it does it'll be set in the modern era not in the 80s so that's kind of squandered that but we're going to take a look at that uh, the whole thing of it, like because stranger things i think is one of the the sort of crowning achievements of modern netflix so that we're going to be looking into all that kind of stuff obviously the year for this season if those of you following along is 2011 so we'll be doing two shows about the films of 2011 uh nostalgia there for something that's not even a decade past ah that's the nostalgia ain't what it used to be um we've got of course as we've mentioned already, a show called, uh, in our Is Screwed series. When you called that card, Star Trek Is Screwed, you didn't think it was going to turn into a series, did you? Oh my god, I've created a franchise. Exactly. Every, every season, it's like something is screwed. This time it's Star Wars' turn. Star Wars Is Screwed. Just to round off the series, we'll be talking about, uh, well, as we were three seasons in to uh, 80s kids, chasing the franchise seems to be, and it's on everybody's lips at the moment. Like, you know, we, it's a good, a good way to sort of, uh, consider the problems that people are having outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they, you know, franchises are hard is i think possibly a subtitle for that episode so that's what's coming up if you're really enthusiastic about all of that stuff and you want to tell us that or uh, any other business that you have uh where ian might people go to find out all about that well leo one place they could go would be our facebook page you can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. But podcasts are what it's all about. And to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time, all you have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in word, dot blogspot.com. Once there, you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes direct to your PC for dark reasons of your own. If people want to subscribe directly to the cast, Leo, uh, how might they do that? Well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as in numbers again so 80s if people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today they would consider offering their support on patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still they could check out our patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids and that's 80s the word Yes, there isn't a guest this week, so that's all the news that's fit to print. Uh, I mean, there was never going to be a guest for the summer review because there was no guest for the summer predictions. And in fact, given how long it takes us to chunter our way through them, there probably never will be a guest for the summer predictions because who would want to, frankly? Justin had a go once. That was enough. That was enough for him. No more. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us. And, uh, as far as, as far as this goes, my final word is, I guess we'll see you next March to do it all again. Uh, final words, Ian? Oh, on, on just, uh, film predictions. Um, it, it's, it's terribly fun to do. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's things coming I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm mainly excited about. I mean, there's, there's, there's some things here alike, here alike, but not an awful lot, but the future seems very, cozy right now that is that is good news and i think yeah i mean the other thing is 
this year, these are my real final thoughts. This year, I feel lessons have been learned by us. I don't know about Hollywood, but by us as to when it comes to predicting things, you know, where to put, I, it's never been, it's been a year of exceptional clarity about what's making money and what's not. There have been very few where you're going, like there are a few little blips where you're like, well, who'd have thought the Meg, that action movie that I can't even remember the name of now, a $6 million budget, breaking in, that's the one. Things like that. They're like, oh, okay, who knew? But mostly we were kind of in the right area and where we've fallen over seriously is in areas, one, where we don't have a lot of expertise, but two, the way we made our mistakes is very clear. And next year, I this is prediction about the predictions, it's a meta prediction. I think we will have a sound chance of doing a lot better. So let's see how that pans out next March. But for now, bye-bye. Farewell. 